Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 62. With over 40 restaurants across Royal Caribbean's fleet, there are lots of choices for every palate and budget, with some of the best options being at specialty restaurants. For just a few dollars extra, you can have a great dining experience. So this week, we're going to share my top five specialty restaurants on Royal Caribbean. Hopefully, we'll introduce you to some of the new options you might not have thought of before. Here we go. I'm excited to bring you the next episode in our top five series of podcasts where we discuss the top five things to do about the topic at hand that are not to be missed. And this week, we're going to be looking at specialty restaurants across Royal Caribbean's fleet of ships. Now, Royal Caribbean lists over 20 specialty restaurants to choose from, and I'm going to admit, This was really tough to pick just five and way more difficult than I ever anticipated. For me, I wanted to consider the restaurants that offer the best experience time and time again for the price given. I could definitely see this list going a few different ways, but I managed to pick just five. So let's get into the top five Royal Caribbean specialty restaurants, at least right now. And I say right now because, of course, with Quantum and Anthem of the Seas coming on board, a whole slew of new specialty restaurants are coming on board. So I reserve the right to hide behind the the excuse that I did this episode before those ships came on board. So I reserve judgment to maybe we'll have to revisit this topic in the next year or so. All right, let's get into our list here. Number five, this is kind of a hometown pick. I I wrestled with this a little bit, but you know, at the end I picked it. Number five, Johnny Rockets. And and I've I've had a love-hate relationship with Johnny Rockets. I love it mostly. But I've had some experiences, especially on Freedom of the Seas, where it hasn't been that great, honestly. I, I felt really disappointed with the food. But I went when I went on Navigator of the Seas, and we went to Johnny Rockets one night after spring. I would never go back. We went there, and you know what? It was really good. It was really good. It reminded me of those times we had been at Johnny Rockets on Mariner of the Seas and Explorer of the Seas. And you know what? The reason why Johnny Rockets is here, it's very inexpensive, just about five bucks per person. You get a lot of food. In fact, just. It's the only reason to, to eat a Johnny Rockets is to go on a Royal Caribbean ship because, again, when you eat on land, it's like you're going to pay way more from this. Five bucks, you get all the food you want. It's a great thing. And you know what? The milkshakes, let me tell you something, dude. If you're not trying the milkshakes at Johnny Rockets, you are missing out on the best thing they do there. I love the burgers. I love everything else. But the milkshakes alone basically brought this into the list. Again, Johnny Rockets has just been one. It's become a staple of Royal Caribbean ships in general, I think. And it brought me back, and that's why I think time and time again, the reason why I go back to Johnny Rockets, good value, and it's generally a good experience. It can be a little rocky here and there, but you know what? It's hard to screw up burgers and, and fries, and and that's why it's just it's a great experience. And late night, there's nothing better than a Johnny Rockets stop. So number five, Johnny Rockets. Now number four, you know I thought about this one, but I picked Giovanni's Table. Giovanni's Table is a fairly restaurant to the list. In fact, there's actually a couple that are new to Royal Caribbean, or relatively speaking, new to Royal Caribbean, that make this list. And Giovanni's Table, you know, what I, what I really love about it is the great selection of food. There, there, It's obviously Italian, and there's a huge selection to choose from, and on top of it, whatever you order, you're getting a ton to share. In fact, what they really try to go for at Giovanni's Table is more of a family-style meal where, you know, you'll order... Uh, gnocchi and the idea is it's not just for you you can share it they have great meatballs they they really do a lot of good things here and again went back I, i've been on G- giovanni's table on a number of ships oasis of the seas navigator of the seas you know what every single time great experience just phenomenal really really good is it my favorite food in the whole world or my favorite restaurant no but that's why it's number four but i do think it's just one of the better places to go and i really wrestled between this and you know portofino which is on its way out 
Uh, it's you're gonna. There's only a couple left of Portofino's on the fleet. They're they're on their way out, unfortunately. And I love I love Portofino. Giovanni's though is a little different. And you know what? I really do enjoy Giovanni's table. I think it really adds a little something different. And what I like about it is it's usually easy to get into, and it, it's a great blend of again traditional Italian food with a little contemporary flair. And I really like that. I think they've really hit a a good note with Giovanni's table. So. Great choice, especially for families. If you're bringing your kids, great restaurant to go to. So I'm a big fan of Giovanni's Table, so that makes my number four on the list. Number three, if you read my Oasis of the Seas blog post on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, you'll probably know, it's no surprise that this one made the list. In fact, if you ever heard me talk about anything on on this podcast, always I'm a big fan of sushi, and I'll tell you, Izumi made my list at number three because Izumi, again, what's, what I like about Izumi is it's sushi at sea. Before, prior to Izumi, sushi at sea was limited to basically what the Windjammer offered in the Jade section. And let me tell you, it's not very good. Some, in fact, I think Freedom of the Seas and Jewel of the Seas, a couple of ships that don't yet have Izumi, still offer free sushi. Let me tell you, it's what you get. You pay what you get. For, you, know, you get what you pay for, rather. That's the saying. And, you know, it's fine for what it is, but because it's free. But when you go to Izumi, I just love the experience of Izumi. I think they really do a great job of giving you a good selection of sushi, good prices, actually. I think most prices at Izumi I always find to be comparable to land prices. In fact, and a lot of times I find them actually a little bit less expensive than eating on land. And it was a restaurant that first started out, they had a small cover charge, and then you had a la carte pricing on top of it, and they just got rid of the cover charge. Now it's just all a la carte, basically eating at a sushi restaurant anywhere. But again, I like the selection, especially for dinner. Izumi is much better for dinner because you get a wider menu and... In all the ships I've been on, which, of course, Oasis of the Seas and Navigator of the Seas, great views, in fact. They give you sweeping views of the ocean. It's a great restaurant to just be in. And I'll tell you, whenever I'm in Izumi, it's always like a celebration going on. There's always a large group. Everyone's enjoying it. It's it's just a great experience. They they encourage people to try food here. And I got to tell you, the, the quality of the sushi at Izumi, it's pretty good. I consider myself a sushi aficionado, as in I try to consume as much sushi as humanly possible. And it's really good quality. It's certainly better than like, you know, we're talking about like a supermarket sushi or anything like that. I think it's definitely on par with, you know, my favorite land-based restaurants that I go to on a frequent basis when I'm not on a cruise. So I definitely love Izumi and I think it's great for the money. Good choice. You don't have to necessarily eat there every single night like I typically do, but it's, it's a great, I really love it. And I think again, quality of sushi and the prices aren't bad. So Izumi at my number three. And number two, I really, I, my number one, and number two, I really went back and forth on, but for number two, I had to go with again, probably not a surprise for anyone listening to this podcast, Sabor, which is only on Navigator of the Seas. I had a, such a phenomenal time there, and I'll tell you, it's one of the best restaurants I've been to. Period. Sabor is, of course, a Mexican uh, restaurant. That's kind of more. I would say it's more Mexican than Tex-Mex, but it's that kind of a food that's available on Navigator of the Seas. Sabor is a blend of traditional Mexican food and some new stuff as well. And the freshness of everything you get at Sabor, it was amazing to me. And the first thing that, that, that kind of told me something about how good this restaurant was, was when I walked in and literally half the restaurant was filled with Royal Caribbean crew. And when I see that, to me, that says, wow, the crew who are stuck here and have to eat somewhere are choosing to eat at Sabor in overwhelming numbers. Because that tells them that they really like this place. And I'll tell you, the freshness of the food, I think, really stands out here. This isn't just Mexican out of a can or, you know, uh, microwave tacos here. This is freshly made food. 
that rivals, honestly, the kind of Mexican food I was having when we got to Mexico later on that cruise. It was wonderful. The drinks and the appetizers, dude, I, next time I'm going there, I'm just going to eat appetizers and, and order a couple margaritas. I love the table made, table side made uh, margaritas, guacamole, salsa. It's amazing. It's really one of those things you have to try. And it really struck me like no other restaurant I've been to. I've been in a number of Royal Caribbean restaurants. I've always had a good times. Certainly, you've heard me talk about three of them so far. But Sabor was definitely just a, a different, a whole different experience, and it was such a great experience. That's what I really enjoyed about Sabor. It's fresh food, good variety of food. Also, it's not just you know a couple of things they do. They do a lot of things well. The dessert menu is amazing. I got to tell you, it's probably one of the the secrets about many of these restaurants, especially the next one we're going to get to. Save room for dessert. I know people, the waiter always says that, and you say, ha, 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 this one, you got to save room for dessert. They really do a great job here. So, you know, Sabor, to me, I, I'm just disappointed that there aren't more across the fleet. It sounds like it's just going to be kind of a regional restaurant for rest, for ships going out of the Galveston area, but it's a wonderful experience, and it's that kind of restaurant that, honestly, if I was choosing between, say, Navigator of the Seas, which is currently selling out of Galveston, or some other ship that wasn't selling out of Galveston, it might actually come down to the point of me choosing Navigator simply because Sabor is on that restaurant. Great job. Really enjoyed it. So that makes my number two right there. And for my number one restaurant, the top Royal Caribbean specialty restaurant, it's probably, again, probably not a surprise for most people, not a shock at least, and that is Chops Grill. Chops Grill is the veteran specialty restaurant, of course, Royal Caribbean. It's been there. It's done that. They've actually just refurbished the Chops Grill experience, the whole menu is going fleet-wide, if it hasn't already, to give a whole new update to the menu. But, you know, what I always tell people about the Chops Grill, what I really love about it, is it's consistent, and every single time, it's a great experience. Great steaks, good choices all around. It's uh, I've been there so many times now that we've tried so many different things across the menu, it's hard to find a bad food on the Chops Grill menu. I mean, they just do it really, really well. I don't think Royal Caribbean would classify Chops Grill as their signature restaurant because I'm sure that is reserved for something like 150 Central Park. But I really feel like Chops Grill is the it's the stalwart. It's that restaurant that's been there, done that, and continues to perform every single cruise. If you're going to go on a Royal Caribbean cruise and you say, Matt, I've only got time for one restaurant, what specialty restaurant, it's all we can afford, it's all we have time for, whatever the, whatever the reason, I would tell you, no question, Chops Grill, because inevitably, it's always a great experience. I don't know how they do it, because most restaurants, you know, they have an off day or whatever. doesn't seem to be the case here. Great staff. I mean, the steaks really are top-notch, I got I got to tell you. And with the new dry-aged steaks that are on the new menu, it really adds a different dimension. It gives you different choices, and I love variety. That's the thing. I don't necessarily need to order the dry-aged steaks all the time, pay extra for that, but at the same time, I do enjoy having that option. Maybe, you know what? Maybe that evening I'm going to sit down and be like, I really wanted to go for it. I'm feeling indulgent. I want that dry aged steak. Or I'm going to say, you know what? I'm cool with the sirloin or whatever the <laughs> regular steak is there. There's a couple different to choose from, in fact. And let me tell you, the, the secret to Chops Grill, sides and desserts. You got it. First of all, dessert. Oh, the red velvet cake. Oh, I love that red velvet cake. It's so good. I love that very much. And the sides, the sides are the subtle secret MVP of Chops Grill because the, your steak is going to be amazing. No question about it. Let's, let's not, you know, uh, overlook that. But if you get the great sides, anything you pick is going to be amazing. And all of them are always way better than you think. It's like, all right, well, there's mac and cheese and there's fries and this. Let me tell you, it's really well done. I don't know what the, there's a lot of love in those in those sides. So definitely something you want to check out. And again, it's just across the board. 
appetizers are great. The sides are even better than, you know, almost as good as the as the entrees. Desserts are wonderful as well. So Chops Grill, I had to I had to give Chops Grill the nod as my number one because it's just been it's been my number one for such a long time. And I think if you talk to many Royal Caribbean veterans, people that have cruised with Royal Caribbean a long time, and even people that maybe even just checked it out recently, I think they're all going to tell you that Chops Grill is going to make their top two or three list at the worst because really it's just become one of those great Royal Caribbean experiences that you have to check out. So that's my top five. But of course, I want to hear what your top five restaurants are. So you know what? If you want to email me, Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. I will read your responses and we'll read your top five restaurants. Maybe you agree with me, maybe you disagree with me. I'd love to hear which restaurants you think make your top five Royal Caribbean specialty restaurants. Once again, it's time to answer your emails. Love this part of the show. And of course, you can always email me, Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Also, I don't know if you knew this, because I haven't mentioned it in a while. You can call the Royal Caribbean Blog voicemail. That's right. We have a voicemail calling 408-6-ROYAL-6. That's 408-676-9256. And we have our first... Actually, we're going to start things off with a voicemail, and it's from Derek. Derek, take it away. Hey, Matt. This is Derek Carey from Salt Lake City, Utah, calling you from the helipad of Navigator of the Seas. We're about to get underway here. I just wanted to give you a quick shout-out. Thank you for all the awesome information you gave me on the cruise. Love the blog. Love the podcast. Uh, just really helped me make helped me make the most of this cruise I'm going on, so thanks for all that. Uh, the question I have for you is, how does one deal with not being on a cruise after a cruise is over? Just give me the best you know, advice, consoling advice you have. Anyways, thanks for all the great info, Matt. Appreciate all the time you put on the blog. And can't wait to get this cruise started. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks for the voicemail, Derek. And, you know, calling me from your Navigator of the Seas cruise. Dude, so jealous. Ugh, but that's so great you're on there. And I really appreciate you taking the time to call us. Man, that was like the quietest helipad ever. Usually it's like a tornado over there with a wind in a good way. But I'm glad to hear that you're going to have a great time on that cruise. I think you're going to have a – it's just wonderful time. So – Answering your question, how to get over the post-cruise depression, because of course you're on your cruise, you're having a great time, it's the best time of your life, you're like, yeah, I love a cruise in Royal Caribbean, and then the cruise ends and you go home, and boy, does that post-cruise depression hit, doesn't it? <sighs> I'll tell you, it's rough, and everybody gets it, doesn't matter if you've cruised for 20 years, or this is your first cruise, you're going to have the post-cruise, because you had a great time, and you're, you know, you want to go back, obviously, so... My advice for you is the same advice my father gave me the first time a girl broke my heart and I was like, Dad, I, 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 I don't know how I'm going to get over her. This was a big deal. And she said, you know what? It's the same advice for cruising. Nothing gets you over the last one like the next one. So book another cruise. I know it's kind of self-serving, but I'll tell you what. Booking another cruise really does make that post-cruise depression a whole lot easier. Why? For one thing, you got something else to look forward to. If you've got no cruise booked, you're looking into, and I apologize to everyone who has no cruise booked right now, but you're going to be looking into, it's like staring into the abyss, right? It's like, uh, there's nothing there. I got nothing. I got nothing to look forward to. And when that's the case, and all you have to do, you have no choice but to look back on your last cruise. And again, you just become more depressed or as depressed. Let's put it that way. So booking another cruise, definitely the way to go. It makes it a whole lot easier. In fact, I recommend if you don't have one booked before your cruise ends, go to the loyalty agent, make a next cruise booking, book something. That'll give you, even if you're booking something a year or two in advance, you can always move the reservation around. That to me makes it a whole lot easier by far to get over it. So when you have something to look forward to, something to plan, you can get right back into it. 
Trust me, it makes it a whole lot easier. On top of that, of course, you have quality websites like my own, RoyalCravenBlog.com. <laughs> and there's also other great websites and podcasts out there. Get your, you, Keep yourself invested in the experience. Just because you're back the, and maybe you don't have a cruise for another year or so. Hey, that's some excuse not to you know keep up with what's going on with news and discussions and just sharing your experience. Of course, on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, we have a message board. We'd love to hear your thoughts on there and your cruise. Share experiences. Help others plan their cruise. That's always a great thing to do. And of course, other things you can do. I like listening to cruise-inspired music. I have uh, one of my favorite stations is uh, Radio Margaritaville, which is Jimmy Buffett's little radio station. Actually, it's available on satellite radio, but it's all if you just go to Google and go to Radio Margar- Radio Margaritaville, you'll find actually a free link to listen right there on the website. And you know what? Hearing a little steel drum band music that puts you back in the mood just a little bit. So that can definitely be a good thing. And the last thing is. When all else fails, of course, you could go check out some of the television specials that Royal Caribbean has done over the years. Some of them are a little old by now, but you know what? It's still kind of relevant, and it, it gives you that little fix, so to speak. Watching the things about the building of the Oasis of the Seas, or even some of the older ones like the uh, refurbishment of Sovereign of the Seas, which isn't even in the fleet anymore. But there are, a lot of these are on networks like the Travel Channel, but a lot of these are actually on YouTube, probably slightly illegally, honestly, but... You know, it's all right. You can go Google them and you'll find links to a lot of these different shows to watch. So these are a couple of ways to do it. Hopefully, Derek, this will help you out. And if any of our listeners have any suggestions for getting over those post-cruise blues, love to hear it as well. Thank you, Derek. Uh-huh. Next, we have an email from Christopher Percy who writes, interesting episode in number 59 regarding Tim McGill's viewpoint on the direction Royal Caribbean is going with venues with Quantum of the Seas. He's certainly correct in saying this will take the cruise experience to another level never before seen in the cruise industry. Uh-huh. The approach of taking Las Vegas-type glitz and glamour combined with high-tech toys creates amazing effects. The change throughout the day will certainly wow everyone. Just before I listened to this podcast, I saw the announcement regarding Ovation of the Seas, the third quantum-class ship. This is just amazing and continue to keep Royal Caribbean in the forefront of the cruise industry. Great email, Christopher. I agree with you about the Las Vegas thing. You know, it's kind of interesting. The... The thing about the the Vegas approach and the tech, these are very much approaches from two different people high up in Royal Caribbean's uh, ladder, so to speak. The tech is definitely coming from, the direction is coming from Adam Goldstein, who was the former CEO. Now he's the COO of Royal Caribbean Limited, the parent company. And Adam is a huge tech buff. He's He loves that kind of stuff. And I have no doubt in my mind that he is a major driving force for making technology a huge part of the cruise experience on Royal Caribbean. He loves that kind of bleeding edge that they want to be consistently a a driver, a leader in technology on board a ship. So it makes it, it's no surprise to me that they're going with that. And the Vegas thing, of course, we had, if you remember episode 46, we had Nick Weir on, who's the uh, vice president of entertainment for Royal Caribbean. And Nick is comes from a background of Las Vegas entertainment. I believe his father was involved in Vegas and he himself started out in Vegas. So having that kind of entertainment in Royal Caribbean, it's no coincidence. I think, again, the, both those factors definitely contributing. And you mentioned also Ovation of the Seas. Yep, that was the name of the third quantum class ship that was announced. And you know what? You're not going to see a whole lot about Ovation of the Seas for quite a while because what Royal Caribbean likes to do is focus on what the next ship is. They want to sell those next ships. So right now, totally quantum of the seas. When Quantum of the Seas finally does launch and get a you know a good week or two after it, you'll start to see the focus slightly going back towards Anthem of the Seas, and then it'll be all about Anthem of the Seas. And then when Anthem of the Seas launches, then it'll be about the third Oasis class ship, which has no name. And then, finally, Ovation of the Seas. The reason is, of course, they want to be able to sell the ships that are coming out. They don't want people to say, if they gave equal focus to all these ships, they don't want people to say, oh, 
I want to wait for Ovation season, which is coming in, you know, 2016, 2017, and wait four years. No, they want you to book something now, something later, something the year after. Yeah, they want to continue booking. So this is kind of their mentality. So it, it's definitely worth noting that's the name and it's coming down the pipeline, but we still got a little bit of time before we're going to really see a lot of coverage regarding that. Uh, let's go to our next email. It's from Max from Massillian, Ohio. Love your podcast. My wife, Kathy and I, Katie and I, are looking forward to a five-night sailing on Liberty this season, February. This will be my fifth cruise with the Royal Caribbean. I've never eaten at specialty restaurants before. Ooh, what a good topic for this episode. The combination of your podcast and cruise cast has made me want to try Chop's Grill. I don't want to miss Lobster Night or Formal Night, though. Can you let me know which nights these are so I can book my reservation at Chop's? Great question. I think, you're, by the way, you're going to love Chops if you didn't hear my <laughs> rant earlier on in the show about how great Chops Grill is, but certainly a good choice. So on a five night, it's a little different, but you are still going to have it. The second night is going to be your formal night, and there you're going to have regular formal night. Your lobster night, if you want to call it that, it's actually called the Fisherman's Platter officially. That'll be on night number four, as in as I've experienced on a five night cruise. So that'll be on night four. So second night will be formal night. Fourth night will be lobster night, if you want to call it that. So there you go. Hopefully that'll answer them. Hopefully have a great time. Man, what a great cruise you picked. Next, we have an email from Mike Leone. Matt, enjoying this podcast. I've been an avid listener of WW Today and was happy to learn of your new podcast. My wife and I are frequent Royal Caribbean cruisers, recently achieving Emerald status. We generally do a Royal Caribbean cruise every other year while doing Disney on the odd years. I love listening to your podcast. I'm currently planning on catching up to a few old than your most recent ones. I heard a question regarding the tender from Cozumel to the mainland on a recent episode. I have taken that tender quite frequently and have no problems regarding choppy rides. Other than the local salesmen who board and try to sell you gold, etc., they've been fine. We've taken the excursion called Rio de Secreto, or the Secret River Trip. It was awesome. Once on the mainland, you board a van for the trip to the jungle. After a short trip, you arrive at a small camp and begin your journey. You don a wetsuit and a life jacket and then proceed undergrounding to hidden caves. With your headlamp activated, you can see in the dark, you walk, swim, and climb your way through the myriad of hidden caves under the ground. Some spots we had to swim through as the water was over our heads. Wow. They have a photographer along to take pictures. As it is pitch black without your headlamps, it was quite the experience. However, it was an eight-hour trip. It could have been shortened by deleting the lunch portion. Keep the great podcast. I'm sure it's helped many people with their first cruises and even veterans, too. Great review, Mike. You know, that was a little different than the one I was thinking of, although, honestly, that one sounds really, really cool. Um, the one I was thinking about was more the no swimming involved, just the you go on the boat, you go over land to the ruins, you see the ruins, you walk around the ruins, and then maybe a lunch break or a beach break before you head back. But it's good to hear that I don't think the 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 boat portion is the problem, the ferry portion. It's more the the trip, the, the car being it's kind of bumpy and can have some air conditioning issues maybe, but... It sounds like you had a great time. So there you go. Mike's uh, vouching for that excursion right there. And I appreciate that. I love hearing firsthand feedback from our listeners. That makes everyone, it helps everybody, helps me, helps everyone listening. So I really appreciate that. Thank you again, Mike. Next, we have an email from Dave Houston of Syracuse, Utah. Let's go Utes. (laughs) My family and I are sailing on the Oasis of the Seas right after Thanksgiving this year. We fly from Salt Lake City. The cheapest way for us to get to Fort Lauderdale was to fly to Orlando on the Red Eye. We leave at midnight and get in at 7 a.m. From there, we've rented a van to drive to Fort Lauderdale. Do you know what we can expect on this drive? How long will it take? How are the tolls? Do we need to buy some type of freeway pass? Also, we're staying one night after our cruise at the Gallery One Hotel in Fort Lauderdale. Do you have any experience there? So good news, I can help you with a lot of this. So going from Orlando to Fort Lauderdale, it's probably about a two and a half, three hour drive, depending on traffic and how you drive and weather and all that kind of stuff. It's a pretty easy drive. 
from Orlando, you're going to take the the fastest and easiest way is to take a highway called 528, Route 528, it's called the, the Beach Line. It goes essentially from Orlando directly east all the way to the coast. Actually, it's the way you get to uh, Port Canaveral if you're going to go on a cruise out of, say, uh, Freedom of the Seas or Enchantment of the Seas. Anyway, before you get to that point, though, you're going to you're going to see an exit for I-95. You'll merge on I-95, and then you take a 95 all the way down to Fort Lauderdale, and bam, you're going to hit it. Literally, if you continue down 95, you're going to see if, if the ship was in port, you'll be able to see Oasis of the Seas there. The thing is, this route does require a toll. On 528, it is a toll road in Orlando. It'll cost you a couple dollars. You can get a freeway pass, um, but if you're only going to go here once and you're never going to go back again, it might not be worth your time. There are cash lanes. The problem with the cash lanes are, inevitably, there's always a line. It takes forever. You need to have exact change on some of them. So you could do it. You'd be fine. I just have to throw that out there. It probably costs you, I think, one way... You'll probably pay like 3 to $5, depending on what the toll rates are. Because you're going to hit one right by the airport in Orlando. And then you're going to hit another toll out between, basically, it's in the middle between the Orlando's airport and I-95. So it's essentially two tolls. It depends where you say in Orlando and how you get there. But you could pay up to two tolls. But it's the fastest, easiest, can't screw it up way kind of get there. You can take smaller roads to kind of bypass that and meet up with I-95. Essentially, what you're going to do is you would, this is really getting local now. You're going to take uh, Semeron Boulevard, which is at the airport. You're going to get down to 192. That's what you need to get. You get down to one, Route 192. It's just a local road. And you take that east all the way to I-95. Again, same thing. You'll hit it right in Melbourne. And from there, you can hop on the highway and I-95 and go down there. So it'll take longer. It depends if you've got time to burn or not. But it's an easy drive. So staying at the... You mentioned the Gallery 1 Hotel in Fort Lauderdale. I have not stayed there. The... Uh, I stayed at the Radisson, I believe, in Fort Lauderdale, but I did Oasis of the Seas. As long as they're all fine. I mean, read the reviews. I mean, I think they're they're perfectly fine. We were interested in having a hotel that offered parking because I believe my parents were driving down and they wanted to be able to they were they wanted to park their car. And a lot of these places have you know you stay here at night, you get to park the car for free for a week. So that was one of the deals we did. It was a great hotel. I really had a great time. And they also offered a shuttle, which is important. Because otherwise, you either have to take a taxi, or I know you're probably renting a car, so you just got to figure out how you're going to get there. My advice with when you're doing this kind of thing where you're renting a car, you need to drop it off and get to the port, is take your family and all the luggage, go to the port, drop your family off with all the luggage, then you alone take the rental car back to the rental car company, drop off the car, and then take the shuttle, which they often offer, back to the ship. And the reason for doing this is that inevitably a lot of other people are doing the exact same thing. And if you're alone without any luggage, it's a lot easier to get back on that shuttle to get back as opposed to trying to load up that shuttle with all your luggage and all your family. These shuttles are very small. Usually they're, and by shuttles, they usually mean vans. So not a lot of space, but they usually can always fit an extra guy who's got no luggage. So that's my advice for you. Hopefully, Dave, you'll have a great time. A waste of the seas. Beautiful ship. I need to get back on the Oasis class. <laughs> I think it's it's been too long. But thank you for the email, Dave. Appreciate and lastly, we'll round things out with an email from Chris from Hoffman Estates, Illinois. I've been listening to your podcast for about two months now. Each week, you brought a new level of excitement to my commute home. I actually look forward to getting stuck in traffic on Wednesday so I can listen to the entire show. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. In two weeks, my wife and I are leaving for our fourth cruise on Royal Caribbean out of Gallison, Texas. Navigator of the Seas. Super excited. Can't wait to try out all the tricks and tips I've learned from your podcast and viewers. The one thing that makes me nervous is the Galveston port overall. Is it really that bad? Or am I worried about nothing? Thank you so much for the quality shows and mindful information. So, Chris, 
It can be, relatively speaking. All right, so here's the deal. When I went there, this was in February, and you're not cruising in February, I don't think. Based on your email, you're probably going pretty much probably this week, I think. Anyway, in February, there's, especially in the winter in general, there is a fog issue with the port. I don't think it's so much the case in the fall and summer, so I think you'll be okay. But there was a fall, there was a fog thing. We were delayed many, many hours. We didn't actually leave until the next day, so we spent one night in port. It was annoying, not the end of the world. Embarkation was fairly simple. Even with the whole fog delay, I mean, the problem with the delay is that everybody shows up exactly at the same time, so you get long lines, but it was an easy process. I wouldn't really worry about that. Coming back is when you're going to get all the problems, and the problem is not with Royal Caribbean. It's with Galveston itself. The problem with Galveston is it's a port that, I don't know why, but the customs takes far longer than any other port anyone's ever been to, it seems. Don't ask. Here's the thing you need to do. When you get to Galveston and you're getting off the ship, make sure you use a porter. Porters are those guys that are out there with the with the hand trucks to put your luggage on there. Cost you just it's free, but you know, you have to tip them, obviously. Trust me when I sell you, it's worth it, you know, ten bucks to tip the guy. Because there are two lines. One line for two lines for customs. One line is for everybody, and one line is for people with porters. And the porters move a whole lot faster because they've been through the system, they know what they need. They'll prompt you, in fact, as the passenger, hey, this is what we need to show them. It just goes a whole lot better. It's the better of the two evils. I'm not, it still took us a while. I think it took us like 45 minutes to get out of the thing. It was, it just, I don't know why it takes so long, but it does. It's just, it's the nature of the beast of Galveston. It's not that bad. Just, you know, don't book like a 10.30 a.m. flight getting out of there because you're not going to make it. But as long as you give yourself plenty of time, it's fine. You'll have a great time. I wouldn't really... Honestly, I would book Navigate the Seas 10 more times, and I would deal with the Port of Galveston every single time. It's totally worth putting up with it because it's just a great experience. So don't worry about it. Honestly, Chris, you'll have a great time. And that'll do it for us today. Don't forget, of course, I want to hear from you. This is your podcast. So email me, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. I want to hear from you. And I also want to thank a big, 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 big thank you to all of our listeners who have submitted so many great reviews on iTunes. I really appreciate all those positive reviews. It really, really, really helps the podcast. And it, it means a lot to me personally that all of you think so much of this show. So again, thank you very much. And I look forward to meeting many of you very soon, hopefully. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg. We'll talk again soon.